Hi ladies, welcome to my channel. I'm Dr. Daff. We're taking a look at femininity from a biblical perspective. We're going to be examining five women in the Bible who use their femininity to bring change into their lives and what we as modern day women can learn from them. In an interview recently, one of the questions I asked the guest was to name her favorite woman in the Bible. And she struggled because the truth is there are so many more stories of men rather than women in the Bible. Because of that, many people tend to overlook the stories of biblical women. But if anything, the somewhat occasional stories of women should cause us to pause and take a deeper look into these narratives. Oftentimes, these stories come with powerful lessons for everyone, but especially for Christian women of today. Without further ado, let's meet our number five on the list, and these are in no particular order. The first woman we'll talk about is Sarah. You may be familiar with Sarah's story in the Bible, especially that God promised to give her and her husband Abraham a son, even though they were already very old. This on its own makes for a moving story about faith, but there's more that Sarah's story teaches us about feminine strategy. Let's take a look in Genesis, where God makes a promise to Abraham to give him a son. Soon after God makes him this promise, there's a famine in the land, so Abraham leaves to go to Egypt in search of greener pastures. When Abraham and Sarah arrive in Egypt, Abraham immediately realizes that he's in trouble. Sarah is a very beautiful woman, and Abraham is sure that she would attract the eyes of the king of Egypt. So he devises a plan asking Sarah to say that she is his sister instead of his wife. This plan does not save Sarah because the Egyptian king took her anyway. But Abraham was saved and was given a bride wealth for his so-called sister. And Abraham actually tries this trick not once, but twice. Many Bible scholars agree that they do not understand Abraham's motivation for doing this, but whatever the case, his actions put Sarah in an uncomfortable position. She had to leave her home and live as a concubine in the palace as a foreigner. No one wants to have to suffer that. But God, being the protector and defender that he is, comes through for Sarah. While Abraham fails to protect Sarah, God defends his daughter, inflicting the two kings with plagues and disturbing dreams until they let Sarah go. Sometimes being a woman can be difficult, and in many cases, men can be oblivious. Just like Sarah, sometimes we may be incapable of doing something about it because of the systems around us. But the wonderful thing is, God is always ready to intervene for those who cannot fight for themselves. He did it for Sarah, and He definitely can and will do that for you. As Sarah's story progresses, this beautiful woman would be pushed to fight for her family on different occasions. First, she fights for her husband and her position in his house. See, Sarah had convinced Abraham to consider surrogacy since they were getting older and she still had not conceived. She didn't have faith in the promise. But Hagar, the servant that they received from Egypt, ended up disrespecting her when she finally conceived with Sarah's husband. 
It is at this point that we learn that though Sarah might seem beautiful and compliant, complacent, she knew how to set boundaries when she felt disrespected. So she calls on her husband to put Hagar in order, which he does. But that wouldn't be the only time Sarah would have to fight. After Hagar gave birth to her son, Ishmael, Abraham seems to take this as the fulfillment of God's promise. But God does not see like man sees. He still had plans for Sarah, and he would bring them to pass. So God informs Abraham that even though he has Ishmael, his promise to give him numerous descendants would be fulfilled through Sarah and Sarah alone. True to his words, Sarah gives birth to a baby boy at the age of 90. At this time, Abraham is 100 years old, but Sarah's battles are not over as Ishmael, a teenager by now, is found playing with her son Isaac during Isaac's weaning. It is not clear what Ishmael was doing precisely, but whatever it was, it seemed improper, like perhaps an undermining of the importance of that day. So once again, Sarah tells Abraham to send Ishmael and his mother away. It seems harsh, but God appeared to agree with this move, and it was necessary because he did side with Sarah. Like only a woman can, Sarah had the foresight to understand what Hagar and Ishmael's continued presence in her family could do in the future, even when Abraham, the man of God, could not see it. This seems to be a superpower that God has given to women, and Sarah made sure to utilize it to preserve her marriage and her family. Interestingly, Sarah's maternal instincts in fighting for her family rose when she saw God's faithfulness to her. God has built into the woman innate abilities, what you may call superpowers, to help you fight and persevere through everything God has given to you. Like the Bible admonishes us, look onto your mother, Sarah, and learn from her. Don't ever be afraid to turn on your womanly instincts and take your own destiny into your hands when the situation calls. Sarah did that, and today her name is forever immortalized in the sands of time. Our next feminine woman in the Bible is Abigail. Now, Abigail isn't one of the most often mentioned women in the Bible. However, she is well known for her beauty and her wisdom. Ironically, she's also known for her marriage to a wealthy but extremely foolish man, Nabal. This leads us to one of the most outstanding things we know about Abigail. She is the only woman in the entire Bible who is recognized for being both beautiful and intelligent. This is a sharp contrast to her husband, who is known for being foolish and mean. Now, just in case you never heard of this beautiful biblical heroine, here is her story. Abigail and her husband Nabal lived near the town of Carmel. Nabal was stupendously wealthy. He owned 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats and lots of property as well. In those days, the Hebrew people held a certain feast called the Sheep Searing Festival. It wasn't a festival ordained by God, but it became a time for people to gather together and celebrate, often riotously. 
During one of those festivals, David, who we know as King David, reached out to Nabal to spare some food for himself and his troops. In escaping from King Saul, David and his men had formed a kind of vigilante group to help protect the shepherds and sheep in the area from martyrs and wild animals. So in essence, part of the reason Nabal could celebrate was because David and his men protected his flock. But being the fool that he was, Nabal insulted David and his men, and that made David so angry that he vowed to kill Nabal and all his men. A little bit of an extreme reaction from David, but that's a story for another day. A servant of Nabal, who had been eavesdropping on the entire exchange, quickly ran to Abigail and relayed the entire story to her. Abigail immediately drew upon her feminine charm and wisdom and knew precisely what she had to do to calm David down and save her household. She started by making David and his men an elaborate feast and sending that ahead of her. Then when she got to David, she charmed him into going back on his decision to shed blood with a powerful speech that was a beautiful blend of humility, wisdom, and even prophecy. Abigail assures David that he didn't need to shed blood needlessly because he had God on his side fighting his enemies for him, including Nabal, her own husband. Abigail also implicitly prophesies that God would give David a lasting dynasty, a prophecy that Nathan would confirm many years later. The way Abigail ends her speech could perhaps be a shocker for many, who assume that women in the Bible were repressed and not allowed to say things in certain matters. But at the end of Abigail's powerful speech, she gives Israel's soon-to-be king a subtle but not-so-subtle hint. She says, And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. As God would have it, shortly after Abigail returns home, her husband develops a heart condition and dies. David, upon hearing that she's widowed, then sends for her and marries her. Abigail's story is such a beautiful telling of how women can use their femininity, their beauty, and intelligence to save even the people who don't deserve it. Maybe you live with a difficult husband. Or perhaps you have to work with an impossible boss. Through her story, Abigail encourages you, don't give up hope just yet. Your beauty and wisdom as a woman could be the means through which God saves you and the people around you. Moving right along, the woman who takes our number three spot in this video today is none other than Rahab. Just like Abigail, there aren't many chapters in the Bible dedicated to this beautiful woman, but that does not make her story any less powerful or inspiring. Many have been a bit squeamish reading or speaking about Rahab because of her questionable occupation. If you don't already know, Rahab was a Canaanite prostitute living in Jericho, who turned out to be a biblical heroine and even an ancestress to Jesus Christ. Let us find out who Rahab was and what she did in the Bible. Rahab's story begins in Joshua chapter 2, when Joshua sends out two spies to check out the land of Canaan before Israel made its move to conquer it. 
Once the two spies got into Canaan, they went to Rahab's house seeking accommodation and information. When the king of Jericho heard that two Israelite men were within his borders and were being accommodated by Rahab, he orders her to give them up. But Rahab knew in her heart that these men were emissaries of God. She also knew what the king would do to them if he got them. So she hid the spies and lied to the king's guards that they had already left. When the king's men took their leave, Rahab let the two spies out of her house through the window. By the way, her house actually sat on the town wall. But before she let them go, she made them promise her something. When Israel comes to possess the land of Jericho, she wanted her family to be spared. The spies agreed to her request under the condition that she leaves a scarlet rope, which she used to let them down the wall, hanging from her window. True to their word, when the spies came back with the armies of Israel to destroy Jericho, they spared Rahab and her entire household. Rahab and her family are then incorporated into Israel, and the rest, they say, is history. Rahab's story brings forth a number of powerful lessons for the modern-day woman. Just like Abigail, Rahab displays a farsightedness and wisdom that the men around her didn't seem to have. The king of Jericho and his men failed to realize that God had given Canaan to Israel, even though they knew all that God did for Israel during the exodus from Egypt. Rahab, however, was wise and she used her feminine charm and strategy to ensure safety for herself and for her family. How did she do it? She was accommodating and empowering. She welcomed the two spies into her home and even encouraged them with her kind words. And she was brave. Imagine what would have happened to her if the king had found out what she did. For sure, he would have executed her for treason. But Rahab was full of courage and the fear of God. Perhaps one of the most instructive things about Rahab's story is that she was not married at the time. She was a single woman, and yet she seemed to be the head of her household, which possibly included her parents, her siblings, and their families. A lesson to learn here is that you do not necessarily need to be married first before you can accomplish great things for God. Rahab was not married, but she did not leave her fate and that of her family in the hands of the men in her life, be that her father or be it the king. Although her occupation wasn't the most honest, she seemed to have a hunger in her heart to know the true God. God saw that hunger and rewarded it despite her occupation, God saw her. He didn't only use Rahab's wisdom as a woman to save her entire household. He also granted her the privilege of being an ancestress to his own son, Jesus, which teaches us another powerful lesson. Maybe you've made mistakes in your life that you're not proud of, or maybe your background has you heavily disadvantaged. There's no need to beat yourself up or keep yourself down. Everyone has a past, and that has never stopped God from using anyone before. That's because He is powerful enough to rewrite your story and give you a new future. Rahab began her story as a Canaanite woman and a prostitute, 
On three levels, she was quite disadvantaged. But when she put her story into God's hands, this woman gradually moved to take her place in the center of God's will for Israel and for all the people for all time. Okay, we're now in our final two feminine women in the Bible, and opening for us is Ruth. Ruth is one of the more popular women in the Bible, and she has an entire book dedicated to her story. The first woman to enjoy that privilege, by the way. Ruth's story is a rather interesting and thought-provoking story with rich lessons for us all. She espouses strength and diligence, but above all, her relationship with Naomi tells a beautiful story of true feminine friendship, relationship, and mentorship. Let's find out about this one-of-a-kind woman. Like Rahab, Ruth was not an Israelite. She was a Moabitess, but she married a Judean man who migrated to her town with his father, mother, and brother. At this time, Israel was expecting a famine. The Bible records that a few years after Ruth got married, her husband died. In fact, all of the men in her family died in Moab, leaving Ruth, her sister-in-law Orpah, and her mother-in-law Naomi all alone to fend for themselves. If you know anything about ancient Near Eastern cultures, this spelled disaster for the women since it meant that they now had no one to provide for them. Naomi thought about this and was deeply sorrowed and decided to return home to Israel. She knew some people there and her chances were slightly better, although returning home in that condition would feel like an embarrassment to her. She counseled her daughters-in-law to remain in Moab and find themselves new husbands so that they could move on with their lives. As far as she was concerned, she had nothing to give them anymore. She couldn't look after them, nor could she give them husbands to look after them. At first, both her daughters-in-law insisted on remaining with her, which shows that Naomi must have been like a mother to them. But eventually, Orpah decided to take her leave while Ruth clung to her mother-in-law, promising to stay with her forever with the now famous words recorded in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Intense words coming from Ruth, but it only goes to show how loyal Ruth was to her mother-in-law. In our culture today, some women are portrayed as being catty towards other women, but not in this case. In Hollywood, when stories of women and love are shown, it's usually centered around a man. But in the Bible, it tells us this revolutionary story of love and friendship, and it's between women. But of course, this is not to say that women don't need men. And in fact, the next half of her story shows us how much men and women have a role to play in achieving God's plans and purposes for this world. So let's go back to Ruth's story. After Ruth's passionate speech, Naomi agrees to let her come with her to Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, things are hard because neither of the women are married or have sons. 
So Ruth decides to find work to take care of herself and her mother-in-law. Once again, just like the other women we've met so far, Ruth takes her destiny into her own hands. By divine orchestration, Ruth happens to work on a field that belongs to Boaz, a relative of her late husband. Israeli law demands that Boaz take the responsibility of looking after Naomi and Ruth as a kinsman redeemer. So Naomi advises Ruth to approach Boaz for marriage. But there was strategy, feminine strategy. Specifically, Naomi asks Ruth to take off her morning clothes, have a nice bath, and dress in her finest clothes. Then she should go meet Boaz on the threshing floor while he and his men celebrate the harvest and lie at his feet. Naomi's instructions have a lot to teach us. You can do so much more when you put thought into your appearance. Naomi understood the power of presentation, just like Abigail did. It wouldn't do well for Ruth to go and speak to Boaz right after coming from the field. Looking well-groomed would make Boaz more inclined to listen to whatever she had to say. But equally as important, it would also give her boldness and confidence. Now, when Naomi instructed Ruth, she never told Ruth to say anything to Boaz. She simply told her to lie there at his feet and that Boaz would tell her what to do. But guess what? By the time Ruth gets to the threshing floor, all glammed up, she's more confident. And so she courageously asked Boaz to redeem her after he admired her character. Boaz, probably stunned and impressed by such courage displayed by this foreign woman, promised to do as she asked. By the next morning, Ruth and Boaz are married, and some months later, she gives birth to a son. The story then ends with the woman of Bethlehem rejoicing with Naomi and praising Ruth as being better than seven sons combined. What a story. Many people have shared diverging views on the story of Ruth, but one thing that cannot be denied is that Ruth is exalted in the Bible as an ancestress of our Lord Jesus. Though foreign like Rahab, Ruth uses her femininity, her devotion to her mother-in-law, and a passion for God to rewrite her own destiny. And so she will forever be remembered as one of the most influential women in history. This takes us to the number one feminine woman on our list today, who was none other than Queen Esther. Esther is easily one of the most famous women in the Bible. And just like Ruth, she has an entire book dedicated to her story. Esther lived in a time where women were heavily marginalized and powerless. However, she demonstrates for us, and rather brilliantly, how a woman can use beauty, charm, political intelligence, and calculated risks to save her people and cause the downfall of their enemies. Esther's story is set between 485 and 465 BC. At this time, the Jews were back from exile, but some of them were still living in different parts of the world. By the time we meet Esther, she's an orphan but she has been adopted by her uncle Mordecai, and they both live in Persia. 
at about that time, there was a feast in the land, and in the middle of all the drunkenness and revelry, the king, King Ahasuerus, asked his wife Vashti to come out and show off her beauty to the entertainment of his guests. As the story goes, Vashti refused to come out, so King Ahasuerus got mad and banished her as his queen. Well, now King Ahasuerus needed a new queen, so his advisors came up with an idea to select a number of young virgins from across the kingdom to join the king's harem. The idea was that the king would spend a night with each of these women, and then whomever he liked best, he would crown as his queen. The rest would be relegated to the position of concubines. Esther is revealed to be very beautiful, so she gets selected for the pageant. When Esther joins the king's harem, it's obvious that there's something special about her. In fact, the king's eunuch favored her immediately, and so when it was her turn to spend the night with the king, he gave her some tips, which she followed. After her night with the king, King Ahasuerus is immediately smitten, so he makes her his queen. But through all of this, Esther keeps her true identity as a Jew a secret because this was the instruction of her guardian Mordecai. Up to this point, we can see that Esther is both humble and obedient. Some people take these qualities as a weakness, but that's only if you don't know where to draw the line between being humble and being a doormat. Esther was humble, but that didn't mean that she would let people walk all over her, as we'll soon come to see. Instead, her humility became the beautiful quality that attracted the favor of the king's eunuch and ultimately saved her life and that of her people later. So humility and teachability are great qualities. You just need to know when people are beginning to take advantage of you so that you can stand up for yourself just like Esther did in the second half of her story. By the way, here's how that went. Sometime after Esther became queen, her guardian Mordecai got into a power struggle with a certain Haman. Mordecai would not massage his ego by bowing down to Haman, and Haman did not like it. So he tried to put Mordecai to death, along with his people, the Jews. When Mordecai finds out, he rushes to Queen Esther, beckoning on her to do something. Right before our eyes, Queen Esther transforms from the humble beauty queen to a wise and powerful monarch. And she did this while retaining her femininity. After calling her people to go on an intense three-day fast for her, Esther makes the bold and calculated risk to go and speak with the king without being summoned. Usually, the law demanded that anyone who waltzed into the king's presence without formal invitation would be instantly put to death. But Queen Esther summoned courage through the fast and went anyway. Queen Esther's courage is rewarded as the king does not order her execution upon seeing her. Instead, he promises to grant her any request she makes, no matter how huge. But Queen Esther is wise. 
She understands that men in power need to be sufficiently worked before you can get them to do what you want. So she turns on her feminine charm and strategy and organizes two dinner parties for the king and the man who wanted to assassinate her people, Haman. At the second dinner party, Esther reveals to the king that she is a Jew for the very first time. She also informs him of Haman's plan to kill her and her people. The king is livid and immediately orders the execution of Haman. And thus, Queen Esther and the Jews are saved, all thanks to Esther's beauty, wisdom, and femininity. Esther, through the most unsuspecting tool of her femininity, made her way into the corridors of power and changed history forever. Each of these five women we've looked at in today's video were powerful in their own right, but it wasn't at the expense of their femininity. In fact, it was through their femininity that they accomplished many things credited to their names today. You too can do the same. Your femininity does not have to be a disadvantage, quite the opposite. Your femininity can be your superpower to change your life, the lives of the people around you, and generations to come. I hope that you were inspired by this and it gave you light into five feminine women that you can look into and hopefully allow their lives to inspire yours. I will see you next time. Bye-bye.